0: Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 81, Underground Saints, Boston edition. Boston, I'm broadcasting live, well, live for me from the Power of Change, worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. We have special guests. Well, one's not a guest. He is looking fly in his Bonhoeffer House sweatshirt from the headquarters in Radford. Jesse Fury, welcome, brother, uh, to the to the show together remote. This is the first time we've done remotely.
1: First time I've been on the gospel underground, but not with you.
0: Ah, you know,
1: can I just say that you, you posted read, um, this past week somewhere on social media, you took a break from your smoking meat (laughs) pictures. And you said that the last episode you did on the gospel underground was your favorite. And I was, I was looking at it thinking, Oh, (laughs) but then I listened to it and I was like, no, that was the best one. You said, feel every piece of that disappointment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my, my
1: favorite, too. Last uh,
0: well, it was, uh, it was a unique episode with some brothers that I've known since, one of them since 1998. And one of those things people ask you, what do you what do you look back on in ministry that you're most proud of or thankful for? And uh, it'd be easy to talk about, like, say, I don't know, stuff started, churches, this type of thing. But I always think of young men and particularly uh, those three guys who uh, young uh, African-American, brothers, different backgrounds, some, some with really robust, good situations in their family, some with real tragic situations in their family, uh, and then come up through this world by the grace of God to be married fathers, men, community leaders. One is my doctor. It's just humbling. I love those dudes. And so we cut up a little bit, um, and had a good time, but we're going to do that a little bit today because we do have a unique guest. Um, In this Underground Saints episode, let me tell you why I'm calling this before I introduce you to our other, our actual guest. Jesse's our co-host. Episode 33 of The Underground featured a man named Craig Malcolm. And it's one of our more traveled episodes actually on the web in terms of web pages of episodes visited. Craig Malcolm is the father of one of my best friends named Brent Malcolm. Shout out Brent, who's now in London. But Brent's father was a pastor. Wasn't one of these guys that was shopping the book deals and hyping his Twitter followers, paying folks to get more Twitter followers or anything like that. Just faithful, steady ministry over years. And um, I, went to the, I went to his funeral and Brent had spent time on an audio editor cutting together a sermon his father preached within a few weeks of his death out of Philippians uh, called our death benefits. And so I'm sitting there weeping, listening to a man preach the gospel about yeah. the resurrection from the dead and how we have no fear in life, no fear of death and how our eternity is secure. And it was just a delightful sermon. And so we did an episode called underground saints, people that exemplify uh, the last is first, first is last kingdom ethic of ministry. Uh, and we've never done one since, but today, and not giving you something to live up to, Matthew. Uh, I have my friend Matthew, Matt Cruz from Boston, pastor of Seven Mile Road Church there in Melrose, but also kind of a, a father figure of a network of churches planted in the, the Boston metro area. And I have one in Houston as well, I believe. Uh, Matthew, Matt, what your mother calls you, Matthew. Uh, welcome, to, welcome to the show, man.
2: Oh, man, this is my joy. I have not listened to all eighty is it eighty that you guys got done? I think by we're at now?
0: eighty one yeah eighty done we're yeah. right in the middle of eighty one yep,
2: but I could talk for a half hour about the ways of listening into you guys, banter some, but really just press theology and love for people in mission has blessed me, so huge grace to jump in and talk with you,
0: amen, well, thank you for joining us matt we're We've been traveling in some things uh The Last few weeks uh, from a tweet that I put out that said, you know, there's some things that need to make a comeback in our society. And so we hit an episode on mental toughness. We had some wrestling coaches on uh, to talk about not just crumpling in life when things are difficult, right? The strength and courage uh, that comes from the grace of God in our weakness. We are made strong in his strength. Uh, and how it's necessary when life is hard, right, to show up to the game, so to speak. And then uh, last week, that episode we were mentioning was on marriage, family, fatherhood. These things need to come back. We're putting pause on that series. We'll get back to things like uh, being uh, strong and courageous as well as manufacturing. Those will be our two next episodes.
1: Uh, You had... um Remind me what the you you had you had written seven things that you're you're gonna we're gonna focus on.
0: Yes, yes, and you're asking me to do all seven when they're not in my notes, but I think I can do it. <laughs> uh, first was uh, mental toughness, marriage and family, um, manufacturing because we don't make stuff anymore. Uh, strength and courage, civility and kindness, love for neighbor, and I think the seven was uh, theological virtues: faith, hope, and love. Of course, there's couplets and triplets. There's like twenty-one things in there probably, um, <laughs> but some 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 rhythms of life that yeah, you know, whether lost or not lost, whether they were there before, I think they're important post-pandemic. So yeah, but today uh, we're talking with Matt for a reason. Matt has put together a book called what church can be. And it came out what about a month or so ago? Is that about right? You launched Did you launch the book on the eve of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, April 1st was the actual published date. So surprise <laughs> what,
0: <laughs> what church can be in a pandemic. Well, Crazy. I've I've known Matt for Kali, I think back to we met online in around 2007. Uh, which is a funny story that I've, that I've shared. And even in the front of your book where you asked me to endorse you book wasn't out yet. I hadn't read it yet. At that point, I told this story, but we were leaving Nashville, Tennessee metro area. We were living in Franklin, Tennessee, kind of pleasant, pleasant place to live. My wife grew up on a farm in North Carolina and we were moving to New York metro area, uh, New York city metro area in New Jersey and we were on a forum together and I was like, yeah, man, how do I leave my wife? And, you know, she's, she's a little concerned about be living in such a crowded place. And, and it was kind of some guys from the South were chipping in, I think, and it was probably not very gracious and kind to our New Jersey peeps you know, we, that we didn't know at the time. And I think Matt chimed in, was like, uh, dear Lord, brother, it ain't, it's Jersey. It ain't that bad. And, and I was like, yeah, that's my dude right there. I need to listen to him. And so thank you for that. <laughs> Help me get to New Jersey yeah. and the, the rest they say is history.
2: Yeah, I was there on the day that you guys were commissioned from, um, having planted Jacob's well to move in, step into the stuff you're into now. If anybody ever would have been there, they would have seen firsthand the way that you guys loved the people of Jersey and the way the people of Jersey loved you. So having witnessed that after all those years was such a gift to me.
0: Yeah, what What a kind providence that you were there and were able to speak to our folks and, uh, uh, now you got me emotional yesterday. I took my wife on a hike for our anniversary or two days ago, and we accidentally both wore New Jersey shirts. Uh, mine was a wrestling shirt. I usually have on a wrestling shirt like I do now. And hers was like a, for the church that I got for writing blogs for Jared Wilson or something. And, uh, yeah, it was well, like,
2: read can testify. I got friends. I got family up and down the Northeast corridor between Philly and Boston. Every time I drive through Jersey, I snap a shot <laughs> of the size of some some sign and I texted to him quick and say hey I love you I'm in Jersey Yeah use the
0: exit <laughs> 9 I think on the Turnpike yeah maybe oh, well Matt thanks so much we, we spent years learning together serving church planters you know at retreats with our wives you know listening to Eric Mason tell stories late into the night after uh, Ed Marcel gave him Sambuca that kind of deal and growing in appreciation just for one another and I even served um, Matthew's congregation a couple years back as a consultant as they were thinking through some hires and re, re, re-tuning relaunching one of their uh, locations there in Boston Absolutely. Metro and so I preached in your church I love your community uh lo- i love it that i can't I have to circle the building 17 times to try to park somewhere uh before i go into the offices i done Problem. some training for new I'll, england folks with I'll, it. I'll, say that uh, again
1: we don't have those problems down here no no <laughs> for, <laughs> don't look for parking in small town uh, rural virginia <laughs>
0: you just stick parking, it in the grass
1: yep. parking lot envy that's one of my major uh confession issues.
2: Literally. <laughs> zero dedicated parking spots for this facility zero.
1: Mm. And, and the no, street parking I,
0: isn't good either around it.
1: I need to hear that because we have a small lot and I, and, and I need to be more thankful. Um, and can I jump in here and say, I, I've only met Matt once before today, uh, but um, you might not know this map, but you, you've had in your church, seven mile roads had a pretty significant um, in, uh, influence in a positive way on our church down here. Uh, just a couple of years ago, we started our own version of your of Kalos of of your women's training program. It's it's a bit different, but we re- we really borrowed a lot from you and um, have tuned in a lot to some of the the, the podcasts, and uh, it's just been really helpful for us. So, just thank you for that. Yeah,
2: for five years or more now, we've been hustling at how do we build a culture where every woman that Jesus yeah. gives us is valued and loved and gospeled and equipped and mobilized. And how do you build a culture where men and women are rightly related and fully engaged in the life and mission of the church? So man, Amen. if that's helped you, that's huge. It and has. I-
0: yeah. They've created a whole uh, training track based on it, Matthew. It's, it's fun to watch and see the, the influence of, you know, f- friends of mine uh, from mm-hmm. afar, you know, kind of shaping some some trajectory here as well. So, yeah. And, wow. uh, you know, uh, back to the parking that our church is going to buy a house next to our Well, maybe we got to vote on it. Right. We got to vote. We haven't voted yet um, to <laughs> basically turn their yard into another parking lot. And so uh, I, I so the day that Jesse and I get to circle your building 14 times in park uh, it will be a good day.
1: It'll be a good day.
0: Well, Matt, you're unique in the sense that lots of uh, pastoral leadership, uh, pastors in ministry, are full time. They, you know, receive their living from the gospel, which obviously is a biblically permissible pathway. Uh, but for years, and even until now, you have uh, you have an MBA from Boston University, I believe, and are like yeah. the, the the CFO of something else than Seven Mile Church. Tell us what it's like, or what are you doing co vocationally? What else do you do, and how's that work?
2: Yeah, so when the first, when the idea of church planting first came on our radar, it was a just a wicked left turn out of nowhere. So I had not been tracking toward gospel ministry. I was finishing an MBA at BU and thought my life would be there somewhere. So in the first years of realizing, whoa, church planting is going to be a part of our life, we had to figure out the finances. Super expensive up here and starting a church from scratch fully encouraged and helped by a real small church, but not really well funded. The question became, how's that going to work? So every year for the last 18 years, we've had this conversation in the spring about next year, how's our life going to work? And in his grace, my high school, God opened the door where my high school principal had become superintendent of a school district uh, where I grew up and needed some help with some of the skills I was good at. And over these years, what has unfolded has been a, a good ebb and flow of earning some funding by working a vocation and doing it as well as I can and loving the people there. But then balancing having enough emotional and spiritual energy to do the work of not just being a dad and a husband, but also a missionary and a shepherd of our people. Um, some of it is based on the way that I'm built. So I don't mind having a lot of ions in the fire at the same time. And some of them has been prayerful conversation of saying, who are we called to be and how does everybody involved in this structure, their life around the mission for us, it has meant saying keeping a a part-time ish day job is going to help with the mission. So let's build a life around that. And, uh, The last thought was, who are you married to? (laughs) So my wife is just the best. She's not built to be like, let's just pray on Thursday and see if Jesus sends a check on Friday. (laughs) So having a game plan of this is how our finances will, will work so that we can grow a big family just north of Boston was actually a sacrificial act of love to her. And God's been gracious through the whole thing. But I don't want to exaggerate the nature of the day job. I got lots of men and women in our church with real serious day jobs that take every ounce of their energy to do. My setup is a little bit different. I think the people I work with and for would say we love him, he's competent. he cares, he's fruitful in the work. But in council with our pastors and our church, it's always the question of, How is this not going to be too much to function well? And God's blessed it.
0: Amen. Well, when we evaluate and assess church planters, we can look at their ability uh, to run a budget. And usually that means have they run their youth group budget or their or their household budget. Well, right. Matthew didn't get that question in his uh, assessment interview I bet. Well, Hey, let's transition to the book. And I want to do that by uh, asking you to explain yourself. Um, there's a couple of things. There was a, there's a backhanded comment about Seabiscuit, which I won't get into cause that, that'll get me emotional because it's one of my favorite books. Uh, but you you said, you don't like the movie, so not the book. So I'll, I'll let that one pass. But this one here uh, I want to ask. And so um, I'll just read it and then you can explain yourself to Jesse. So I am not a foodie. I know this is a cardinal sin against American culture right now. Sue me. Maybe it's because my wife, Grace is a wonderful, fantastical Italian super chef who regularly serves up meals that would win contests on the food network. Maybe it's because the sleepover menu at my grandmother's in Queens included White Castle hamburgers, Oscar Meyer pre bologna on wonder white bread. Maybe there's something biologically wrong with my palate. Whatever it is, I don't really care about the latest ingredients, the sexy new vegetable or the cool new restaurant that just opened. My culinary thought process is elementary. I'm hungry. There's food. I'm good. And oh, wait, it gets better. This has caused major relational conflicts within our pastoral team because the guys I serve with are foodies. One of the pastors glared at me in disgust when I brought a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to a lunch meeting, and when I later admitted I don't, I didn't know that there were different kinds of vinegar for salads, we almost came to blows. <laughs> Bologna sandwiches and PB and J in in an area where there's lots of lots of new good restaurants. I've eaten at some with you. Explain yourself, Matthew.
2: I am util I am utilitarian when it comes to, uh, to food. Oh, and we laugh about it all the time because the irony of, I am telling you, you know, four or five nights a week in my home, you would be like, this is the greatest homemade meal that happened in Massachusetts tonight. (laughs) So I, I, I kind of just enjoy it so much at home. I don't, uh, it's not on my radar to seek it out outside of home. And, uh, my guys are the opposite man they are into the food scene the restaurant scene the coffee scene and i'm just like i'm good
0: yeah they took me one time to some breakfast place where they had pulled pork like eggs or something and i was like where yeah. are where are we at this place and and you know be honest i'll make a confession I'm not a foodie either. I like I like stuff, and I, I like chain restaurants. I used to get embarrassed in New Jersey. Like anybody want to go to Chili's? <laughs> it's like uh, no, you're embarrassing us, Pastor. And don't say Papa John's from the pulpit ever again. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, are you giving him a pass? I know you do a little foodie action yourself.
1: Oh yeah, no, no, no. There, I mean, now for I the only thing I wouldn't give a pass to is I don't think there's any such thing as a sexy new vegetable, uh, kale. I mean. Kale is sexy. Uh, uh, now I'm probably more of a coffee person than a foodie. You, you, Matt, you Dunkin' donuts all the way up there. I'm also not a
2: coffee drinker and I get hell for that. I've been told, I've been Reason. told I just got, I got too much natural energy. And if I began to add like high caffeine drinks to it, it would be a problem. So yeah, I'll come to, uh, also, I wasn't a wrestler, but I was a power forward and I bled a lot. So uh
0: you didn't want they, those capillaries, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. That Gatorade's one of my go-to drinks too, but that's just uh <laughs> being, being on the courts all summer.
0: I don't drink coffee either, Matt. We're bonding. We're about to hug virtually, I think. So we better <laughs> we better get off this man crush I'm I'm building for my brother. Well, hey, the the book is entitled what Church Can Be. An optimistic vision with some blueprints. Now, so you obviously say in the subtitle, optimistic. Um, So this is aspirational. Um, So if the church can be something, what's wrong with the way the church is today in North America? Why do we need new aspirations?
2: Yeah, we uh, I'll I'll never forget. We I had written half this book or more and was still like, I don't know what we're going to call this thing. So I had some folks from church come sit with me and I said, hey this is our book. Let's think in terms of what God has done for us. And who are we? What are we trying to say? And about an hour and 10 minutes into that conversation, somebody goes, well, what we're trying to do is cast a vision for what church can be. Mm. And then it was like an epiphany moment of, oh, snap. So then we work with like 20 versions of that phrase. Um, but it, it's emerging from the life of our church. So the book is not I mean, I'm down with polemics when needed, and there'll be some critiques in 80,000 words, of course, but this is not polemic. This is optimistic. This is invitation in to say to people, hey, there is something beautiful possible. If you would throw yourself fully into all that God calls a local church to be, this can be awesome, and we didn't just call it that because we've lived it, but I'm always meeting church planters and now meeting people who are involved in existing churches and just generally disillusionment, discouragement, despair about what church is going to be, especially in a post-Christian context like ours, tends to be the norm. Sometimes that's because people are just straight up wounded. I mean, don't forget where I am, epicenter of the the pre scandal with the Catholic Church. People are wary mm-hmm. of formal religion there is uh people who have just been starved of gospel and just lose a vision for what would a gospel centric church actually feel like, and also you know disinterest and disdain those are the two major things that I receive in doing mission locally where we are and people's shoulders, they just kind of drop and, and their vision for what could be is not there. And so we wanted this book to just be like a shaking and go, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Church can actually be something beautiful, life-giving, orthodox, super tight, missional, like this can happen. Um, You can get there. That's the spirit behind the title.
0: You know, Matthew, your your comment on apathy, like people like church, what are you talking about? You know, that's very common in the Northeast. You know, before I met you, I used to take young people to Eastern Mm -hmm. Europe, which was in the Czech Republic, where you're looking at cultures that were legally, officially oppressed and in atheism, state-sponsored education, public school atheism for for years and years and and bringing up church or God um, it's similar to the Northeast now it's like what are you talking about that is like something that's on the bridge over there in a statue or maybe there's a pretty church building left in Boston but what does that have to do with there's a phrase you use in the book with all set right hey we're good all set Bostonians um, I love it. You were, you were even using that phrase when I was doing consulting work with you. You kept saying, all set, boss, I was like, what is that like, jet set? What is that? Uh, tell us a little bit about that phrase and what that means.
2: Yeah, so any good missionary um, is going to go and say, who am I sent to? And in one sense, we're all just wicked, bad sinners down to the core, and it doesn't take time to identify that. In another sense, every culture has its own idols, its own hang-ups, its own histories. So we've tried to find language to describe who it is that we are sent to. And the three things that we've come up with is wounded, which I just referenced before. Mm-hmm. Ungospeled. I, I, maybe in maybe in Virginia, this would be tough to to grasp, but my neighbors do not encounter a gospel-believing Christian for months or years at a time. <laughs> They're not related to them. They don't go to school with them, work with them, hang out with them. So they don't, the whole gospel that they know is a straw man. It's a caricature. They're they're not actually gospel yet. And then the third one is all set, meaning, hey, I live in the greatest city in the world. I got money in my pocket. We got four incredible pro sports teams. I got my hobbies. I got my health. What, What do I need God for? That's just old school silliness that we've grown past now. And so one of the things we pray, I pray frequently for the people we're sent to is for dissatisfaction with the status quo of their lives to be granted to them by God so that there may be a hunger for something beyond the immediate illusion of all setness that they have. And then we go, how do you plan a church that is both loving and uh, properly aggressive with people who are deceived by an all set mentality.
0: Yeah, amen. It's a, it's interesting ministering in a Northeast context. You do have folks that can really have their whole life just sealed off from things that other people in America, you know, I go to Dallas a lot now. It's just very different in terms of what they're hearing and what they're seeing and what they're encountering day by day. And it's uh, it's almost like you have to pray kindly for the failure of all the props, right? All the things that we think will suffice and fulfill us and make us quote unquote happy, whatever that means. You almost say, Oh God, sweep the leg, but uh, pick them up kindly and save them. Or you, you know, the crazy, you know, the desperate, Oh God, whatever it takes, you know, that's what I pray for my kids. God, whatever it takes lifelong, save them, bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus and then use them in your world.
1: Um,
2: Dissatisfaction, uh, dissatisfaction with the status quo. That's our kind prayer for our folks.
1: That's good. You know, I, uh, that, that way of describing your neighbors as all set is, it just, it, it, it makes sense to me. I spent a few summers in New Hampshire with a campus ministry doing, uh, just doing missions. So doing evangelism and I have never heard the phrase all set so much, you know, I must have hundreds of times uh try to initiate a conversation that's what we did you know try to initiate a conversation about the gospel about their 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 life and it really didn't matter like the second they could smell that this is this is someone who wants to talk to me about something that i'm not interested in right now all set all set all set it it got to be where like if if anyone was interested it was like oh (laughs) hey johnny (laughs) come over here this guy's not all set
0: it reminds me of uh, the comedian of social media, Kev on stage, where he goes through the various ways that black people use the phrase, are you good or I'm good? You know, you good? I'm good. And like, it means 17 different things. I'm sure that in the word wicked uh, can be said for all set in New England. It was a
1: lot, it was a lot different than being, you know, I grew up in DC, which is different too, but, but where I am here in, uh in rural Southwest small town, Virginia, uh, if I if I approach a neighbor and ask if he wants to talk about something, people are way too polite to say anything other than sure. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. So yeah. it's just it's a lot different
0: yeah that's the way my wife grew up and so the first time when we we were actually launching in a hotel uh the days hotel conference center on uh route 18 in east brunswick and my wife was trying to help a guy that was looking for a baseball coaches meeting on sunday morning uh and so she just en- engaged him and talked to him on the stairs and he was just like so rude to her because he why do i know you why are you talking to me and it was like <laughs> she's like i live in bizarro world exact opposite of where she grew up in north carolina where wow. yeah you talk to people and he, In Jersey, if you didn't know people, just, you know, keep moving, keep the eyes down, you know, move fast. Well, yeah, your book is really unique, and I've really enjoyed the chapters, Matt, where they have three parts to them. Obviously, you're doing a look at the Bible Yep. A, a look at your own story, so part memoir, uh, and then uh, g- giving blueprints to others like, hey, here's how this kind of flows out. And that's kind of example-based, but, you know, so it's not like, hey, do exactly what we do. Like some books come out like, hey, here's the new way, and you do this, it wins and works, and you grow you your church. Well, um, tell us about the structure that why you chose that paradigm, because I, I really, I really enjoy it. I
2: mean, anybody who works hard at church planting, the Bible will be alive to you like the whole library. Well, well, but,
0: yeah. not always, though, right? I mean, in church planting, uh, we we work, you know, in North American church planting. The Bible's not always the focus foremost library. <laughs> well, let's say amen to that. Keep going.
2: Okay, so let's assume we got that agreed starting point. Maybe not. we can talk about it. And then what happens is in your story, in your context, some, the, the, the Spirit visits you and presses some, texts or stories really deep in the soul of your specific church so for us that became paul's speech in acts 20 where he is recapping what it looked like for that ephesian church to be the church together and we just got blown away with saying hey all of these marks are transferable they are uh, what happened there should be defining what's happening with us. And so the book is completely, hopefully utterly anchored to the words of scripture. I say right out the get go, anything I say that does not accord with these words in X 20, you can throw that out. I'm just trying to help these words make sense to you. Um, but also part of the reason we can say, Hey, church can be something awesome is because Christ did this with us. And so to, to to just do exposition was not my dream my dream was to give glory to god and hope to others by saying we're just one small unknown church but we have experienced that so let me give you names anecdotes funny stories heartbreaking stories can i give you the successes. word can i give
0: you the word underground instead of unknown
2: underground <laughs> uh, a a, a real live underground church this happened in and I want to invite you into our story with all of its ugly spots but all of its beauty so that your heart would start to get convinced that this can happen with us and then at that point what I hope is I have your soul that the words of scripture have just moved you and you have a vision for what could be possible in your world but then uh, we didn't want to leave it at that i thought it would be really helpful to say hey end of every chapter here's three two or three ways that we have tried to live this gospel principle out you probably should not do this in blacksburg virginia exactly <laughs> like we did it just north of boston but if you see how we attacked it now you can circle with your team and go hey what is this how are we attacking this what would this look like with somebody in our territory. So, you know, I know that the strongest rope, whatever, has three threads. When I was done casting vision in my own brain and with my team for the book, I said, what if it's not just one thing? What if it is theological vision, memoir, and blueprints, and it's all rolled into one? I think that's kind of like the strength of Seven Mile Road. We, we try and think well, but then we actually go do it. And then reflect on what was done. So the book's trying to to just give you a picture of the soul of our church as well.
0: Amen. Well, one of the chapters that I was very moved by was one that had a lot to do with tears. Um, And obviously, again, this is in the biblical text. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, weeping with a group of elders because he was departing. Um, and, you know, the the chapter was kind of hard for me to get through because I kind of went back to these memories of walking laps in a dark uh, gathering space at Jacob's well. Uh, when the Lord had told us that we ha- that it was time for us to move and to leave and to turn over to people we loved and trusted um, uh, with tears. And I just remember walking in the dark. I also had a, a health insurance company called Oscar that I can't get in Virginia that was paying me Amazon money for walking. So I was walking everywhere. And so I like to get 4,000 steps. So I was walking in the dark when it was like freezing and raining and i just remember just weeping just thinking why am i so sad i think i'm doing what god wants me to do i'm my but this is heartbreaking um what do tears have to do with church leadership i mean matt you're a mba you're a a financial guy uh why were you crying
2: yeah so i i think my favorite sentence from that chapter is that tears are the language of this matters and I know of no other way to go about the mission of God or to shepherd the people of God than to take it dead seriously and say, I'm not doing this at arm's distance. Uh, this is not take it or leave it. I wouldn't just eject with the first hard conversation. This matters. Um, it's one of the marks. Paul says, I, I was there for three years and you know that humility and trials and tears marked my time among you. And so the the idea that this would not be something that we pour not just our 9 to 5 40 hours into but literally you get every single inch of me being poured into the work and into the people. That that was the way that he attacked all of his work. How could we do anything less?
0: Amen. that almost killed me, uh, in pastoral ministry, to be quite honest. I like, you know, somebody asked like, why, why are you doing this? Well, I care. I care a lot, you know, like, um, what do you say to a guy that that maybe, how do you not care too much, um, in the world of church planting or pastoral ministry?
2: Sure. So like in every truth, there's a continuum, right? And no one's saying that there's not danger in the far end of having your very identity Uh, at your core wrapped up into the ebbs and flows of church planting or that you would care so much that this would trump family or lead you to working unhealthy. That's not what we're, that's not the critique or the vision in here. It is how, I mean, uh, in, in my first two years of planting, I engaged with the local clergy in the zip code I was in and I was shocked at how it was just a day job for them and they just would turn it off. And uh, it was a career path, and it was very centered on their preferences. And that did not strike me as the good shepherd. I mean, the good shepherd lays his body in front of that gate. The good shepherd will leave 99 behind and go find that one. The good shepherd is invested. He knows his sheep how can we detach our emotions from this work? You can't do it. Yeah. Now, is it is it costly? Yes. Yeah. Do you get hurt, wicked, bad? I mean, where do you get hurt more than in relationships that you lean into? But this is it, it's worth it. Like the theme of the chapter is: if you if you weep over what God has called you to, there is a vulnerability in there, but. It, it is worth it because what happens is you build a culture where you're attracting people who go, Hey, this does matter. And then they bind themselves to you, not just at the functional level, but at the soul level. Yeah. And now you're inviting people into a community that they have never been a part of before. Wait, this thing goes way down. And so we have said, let's take those relational emotional risks because this appears to be the way that the early church lived together in the book of Acts. And we want all the gospel goodness that they had. But you cannot do it if you're constantly over guarding yourself from that connection. So you're going to cry. I mean, from joy, but also from hurt. But God's going to be with you in those tears.
0: Amen. I'm currently not a pastor and don't want to be one right now. I don't even know what that means for the future, but um when people ask me what it what about being a pastor, I was like the best of the best of the highs of the highs. Uh, one right. of the pictures I've kept on my phone and and look at most often is a baby dedicate. well, family dedication Sunday where we have all these families from every tribe tongue people in the world with their little babies and even mixed race marriages and um me standing there with them going, Lord, look at what you're doing, building homes um, so the highest of the highs, and then like the, the, the difficulty, I was like, Hey, I'm too idealistic. I'm too invested. Um, how do you, who's sufficient, right? The prayers we see in the Bible, who's sufficient for these tasks uh, for both of you guys. Um, uh, let me ask this, um, Matt, you've been involved in planting other churches. One uh, brother A.J. Thomas planted the exact same time as we did. We built, moved to the communities, him to Philly, us to Jersey, same time. Uh, core group, same time. We were friends this day. Really, we both love the man, look up to him. You've planted other communities, uh, travel with a crew, so to speak of colleagues, Jesse with the Bonhoeffer house as well, uh, planting uh, locally and then afar, so to speak. Um, talk a little bit about the importance of kind of this community life together for doing this kind of work, because there are a lot of church planners that are kind of solo transactional leaders going out, getting a lot done. Uh, but I don't see that in the way you guys lead. Talk a little bit about the, the the rolling with the crew. Use the word wicked a few times, Matt, when you go. And Jesse, use whatever word uh, from Nova or Radford, it would be appropriate.
1: It's wicked important to, to have friends in ministry. You know, yes, uh, um, uh, for, for us, we've thought a lot about with the Bonhoeffer House, you know, part of our vision comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote um, – a formative book for for our project here, uh, Life Together, which is uh, really about um, being being knit together in the formative years of training under the Word of God, uh, with the hope, and this is what Bonhoeffer was hoping, is that and in, in it and in it, in it and it happened. Although many of those who trained with him uh, died not too long after they were sent out, but uh, with the hope that those networks would would be more than just transactional relationships, that they'd be. That uh, they'd be friends in ministry, that they'd support each other, and so for us, you know, we're we're not in a very, um, um, you know, we, we've thought a lot about we we're not in a resource rich area here as far as finances go, um, but but a, but a, for us, where where we're rich is in our friendships and relationships, and so uh, we can send church planters out, and we can't send a lot of money with them, uh, but if we send them out with with a few friends that they can do life with, and and uh, and other other people that they've come up with and they've stayed close to uh, for us, that's, that's, that's longevity. We want to, we want to be sent out church planters that they're not just going to go hard for a couple of years and then peter out. Uh, We'd rather have them kind of go like this and, and, uh, and get stronger and stronger as they go. Uh, And so, so yeah, I mean, really that's a big part of what we're doing is, is, is helping to cultivate these friendships that are going to, we've seen and, and hope that are going to keep going so that when the guy in Richmond is struggling, he's got a guy down here in Blacksburg and in Floyd, Virginia, and in Alberta, Canada, that, uh, that he can get on the phone immediately. And that, uh, we might hop in the car and not, not from Alberta, but, uh, <laughs> we might hop in the car and get up there and spend some time with them. And, um, yeah, so, so for us, and, and a lot of that is born out of, we planted our church, my best friend, Brett and I planted together. Uh, not, not always the best idea, but for us, it's worked really well. And, uh, and so we looked at our relationships and went, this is something that we, we think we have a unique, um, uh, we've got a strength here that we can, we can help give to others. So we see it as, you know, we see it as super important for us and and a really big part of what we're doing as far as our church planting and, and training the next generation.
2: Two chapters from the book come to mind with that question. So one is called hands and there's this, just this stunning phrase in the speech where he says, you yourselves know these hands mm. and um, the intimacy that we'd be required for that. So like I know Reed's face for sure. I know his voice. If I close my eyes, I'd know it was him. But I, I haven't lived tight enough to him geographically missionally that if you just showed me his hands, I would know them. But like my dad, my wife, uh, a bunch of the guys I pastor with, we have lived so close now that I, I, w- I know their hands and I know what it's been like for them to to do ministry from the inside out of those hands. That is, that is tight. We call it super tight community or relational intimacy. And there is life there that you know, we're saying, are we living close enough to know each other's hands? And then the other one's just called team. I mean, I know Paul. You know, he's the he's the big shot, but we know he didn't go anywhere by himself. Not once. He is always with a team of men. He can rattle off dozens of names of women who partnered with him. And so, how are we being a culture, building a culture where you be you, but you being you is not enough. You got to be you. Uh, with a team of people to move that to success. And that's not the American way, mm-hmm. uh, but it's the gospel way and the fruit that we've experienced in that. I mean, I've begged our church to understand. I did not write a book. We wrote a book mm-hmm. and I was the means of the words coming out, but we are tightly tied to this together. So we try to build a culture where that's not just words, but reality.
1: Yeah, I uh, and 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 one of the things that I love about the book, Matt, is um, I I love that you've got you've got this titled an optimistic vision, and then immediately the first chapter you talk about um, almost dying in a spin class, and that that's what church planting's like, uh, and, and and throughout the process, I I haven't finished it yet, but I have found myself uh, nodding along and thinking this is what this is the book that I didn't have 10 years ago. This is like, so if in in, in getting a a realistic vision, a vision that's, that's saying both uh, this is an optimistic vision and it will involve dying. And this is a good thing. And actually not just a good thing, but an attractive, beautiful thing. Like come, it it, it just coheres with, uh, with the actual church planting process um, with Jesus and his invitation to come and, uh, pick up your cross and follow me, um, and 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 so I, I have loved the kind of um, behind the scenes pictures that you you talk about uh, that help us help me as a reader see this playing out in real life, and I think uh, even with team and with hands, that picture of hands is just so helpful to think about. Uh, do I know the hands of the guys that I'm working with? And and uh not only does that mean we're we're gonna be um well right now probably like elbow bumping, but like <laughs> hands and hugging and, and putting hands on shoulders to pray and but also we're working side by side and we're able to see, you know, that that kind of shoulder to shoulder. We're just we're we're, we're moving moving forward together. I, I've just man, I love that. And and uh and I also love that this is coming from Boston because it's not coming from Nashville where uh where sometimes it just feels like, man, this just sounds really easy. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm reading your book thinking, man, if they can do it up there, we can do it in Richmond, you know? And so anyway, I just, I, I loved those kind of the, the anecdotal stories and, and it's been really helpful for
0: me. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's a very honest book. There's chapters called scars, uh, wolves. There's not, um, there's not a false president presentation yeah. of church planter glory. You know, it's, uh, it's all of it there in there, Matthew. And I, and I thank you, Matt, for putting all that in there because I think uh, too often it's either just very technical or transactional or, or just theological. So the uniqueness of putting those three together uh, is just of immense value to me personally.
1: And, so, and sometimes we, we get the books that talk about how difficult it will be, but not in a way that is optimistic. And so that's, that's the thing for me in the middle of reading it that makes, I'm going to, I told Matt this beforehand, but I'm going to, uh, have my guys read it this summer because, uh, I think we need both the, the, the reality of how challenging this, this life of pastoral ministry and especially church planting, uh, can be and, and the reality of the the grittiness of even church life, but man, in an optimum, but it's, you should do this. This is good. Right. Uh, Yeah.
2: I was laughing with a friend, his undergraduate college is gone. Their tagline was Jesus never said it would be easy. <laughs> which which there's truth there, but I'm like, when does the next shoe drop of and the greatest thing in the history of the universe is being loved by God and participating in mm-hmm. his mission? <laughs> let's let's not stop at Jesus never said it would be easy, but so worth it and the surprising I mean, in that death chapter, I do that. I say, to die is the gospel call, but after death, life, and then buckets is another phrase that we use that the grace that God will give to those who will trust him with this, you cannot contain it, yeah. which is why the optimism overrides it. You need to hold both, but one without the other does not
0: help. Uh, Matt, where where uh, I know you you guys self publish this because getting involved in the publisher world, it's a for profit business. Even nonprofits are trying to make money. You got to have a gazillion billion Twitter followers to for folks who want to take up your manuscript. I haven't even engaged with that. That's just uh, what people have told me. Um, so you went in an underground path with publishing through kind of a self-publishing thing. This is our book. Even did some of the the design work. It does look good. It's almost black and gold, which is the gospel underground and my high school colors. Um, but uh, how how can people get this book? I mean, I bought it on Kindle this morning. You sent me one pre-release. Uh, how do Amazon dot? Where are you allowed to say just all where books are sold? Uh, how do we get it?
2: Yeah, Amazon.com, Just what church can be, in both the paperback version and the Kindle version. And I don't know what their calculus is, but you know the price constantly fluctuates between MSRP. Then they'll drop it by six dollars. We were at, this shocked us, but for the first month, we pretty much lived as the number one book on the best new releases for Christian leadership, which I don't think you have to sell thousands of books to to (laughs) land on there. Um, But you can find it there. Barnes & Noble has it, of course. We also got a website just called whatchurchcanbe.com and you can get connected to some more details on the book. I got an Amazon author page that's up there. On June 1st, we're going to publish discussion questions for each of the 22 chapters. So like my big dream here is that somebody would read it and then they would go, Oh snap, that was so helpful. I need my team to read it with me. And then the team would read it with them and they would all go, Oh snap, Oh snap, Oh snap. We need our whole church to read this. And that in that concentric circle, this vision for church would move through so we're going to publish free discussion questions on the 1st of June with ask yourself personally this question or two, but then have your church dialogue around this question so that the truths can be driven into the the soul of the leaders and the soul of the church. So those will be up on what church can be, and we'll hype it on social media. And uh, we're going to do a 22-episode podcast that just talks through the 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 background story of how each of these thoughts and chapters came in. So it'll just be standalone to give some voices. I'll do it with a woman in the life of our church. So that'll be coming down the pike this summer at some point also.
0: Is that Patty who's going to do that with you, your ALOS Conversations partner?
2: Yeah, she's she's giving some formal part-time work to the church, so she'll help me awesome. nail that.
0: Awesome. Well, let us know when that comes out, because we would like to follow along to that podcast in many forms. We can get written electronic audio. Um, we would like to see what church can be. So, Matt, as you, how, how, how are you feeling about being a published author? Are you feeling big time now? Are you ready for the tours and buses with your face on it? Or?
2: Whatever. That's my thought on that one. <laughs> I, I will say that the thing nearly killed me writing it because of the slowness of tent making and a growing church and planting churches. So it was about a five year process. But uh I was uh, leading one of our, our Kalos team nights. So I was hanging out with five of our women in the church. And I said, I think this is like having a baby. You just you think you can't do it. You can't do it. You do it. And then when you're holding the baby, you're like, "Let's do this again." <laughs> and then so, your wife,
0: and then your wife said, uh, "Yeah, but it's not."
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they, the the women are awesome at <laughs> chuckling at me and loving me, but just with <laughs> like a you know a sly grin. Okay. So no, it was worth doing. It was an act of worship. That's what mattered to me. We're all given talents, and Jesus says, "Hey, I'm expecting you to hustle and do what you can with those." And I don't know why he's put in me what he's put in me. I'm often in prayer saying, you know, I'm not holy enough for this. What are you doing? You know, I'm not holy enough for this. But if you put it in me, then I want to give it to your world. So I'm in. Mm-hmm. So that, that's that been the joy of the experience and the, the published part we're downplaying. And you'll often hear me say, we wrote a book just trying to forge that humility in my soul.
0: Yeah, the using we in church leadership is a good a good uh, way to flow. Even if it's if you're a church planner out there and just starting, uh, find the we and speak that way, and don't make it just about uh, the me or the I or your own glory. Show uh Matthew, I appreciate all the '80s, '90s references. uh Oh snap, and such phrases. uh <laughs> This is—I uh, think we're similar of similar age, and Jesse's not too far behind us, so he can get our get these uh, idioms as well. Scalper's mouth was kind of new to hear a pastor tell you how to scalper's mouth, but I'm glad you do. uh But I do. Who wanna... has not? Who has
2: not <laughs> scalped tickets outside the garden for a Bruce's playoff game? Come on
0: everybody in Boston, right? Uh, nobody in Radford where Jesse lives. I can tell you that there, there, there's some scalping, there's scalping going on in Blacksburg with Virginia tech football games, maybe, but maybe for the Highlander soccer or basketball game, maybe. Right. Well, Hey, let me close with this. I wanted to call you out again. I I obviously mentioned this phrase earlier, but we'll finish on a lighter note on page 95. Uh, you say this, and this pisses off a lot of people in the world. Um, but I wanna I wanna try to help you uh by giving you little uh injections into this quote along the way. Uh first of all, Matthew says this, not me. I'm not a big animal guy. We don't have any pets, I don't watch nature documentaries, I didn't even like sea biscuit. Oh my goodness, or free willy. <laughs>
2: you
0: heartless, uh you heartless bastard. Um not I'm a big not anti-free day. I'm
2: just saying. I <laughs> Everyone like cries in free Let's watch like, it again. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, big animal guy. Let me suggest uh, putting them in a metal box with some charcoal underneath, and mm-hmm. you will you will be a big animal guy. I suggest the, pit, <laughs> the pig. Uh, pets. I'm with you. Don't get that. You got to watch Planet Earth or Planet Earth Part Two. You got it. You just give it a shot. They are well filmed. There's a British guy. That thing. And if you didn't like the movie, see Biscuit. Get the book. The audiobook is fantastic. Lauren Hillenbrand's done a great service to the world. Watch Free Willy again, you stone-hearted person, <laughs> and cry tears, Matthew. Tears. Where can we find you online? Twitter. Are you on you on the Twitter. Where can we go to? whatchurchcanbe.com? dot com. We got that. We'll put that in the show notes. Where else can we find you?
2: Uh, if you do Twitter, it's just Matthew Cruz, K R U S C, and uh, on Instagram. MatthewCruz dot Boston. So we're trying to push out book stuff on both of those personal channels to get people connected.
0: All right. Follow Matthew. He's never self promoted on Twitter. I've never seen it, but his follower count is up from what it used to be. Let's get that up. Some more follow him. He does interact. Uh you were interacting on a thread that I was interacting on last night when I was up way too late. So it's good to see you. On there, Jesse. Any closing thoughts as we uh, thank
1: our underground
0: saint living under wickedly underground
1: in Boston? No, nah, man. I just appreciate. I appreciate the book. I love the fact that you're uh, you're thinking not just about um, producing a book in order to you know make money or 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 uh, name, but to resource us. It's going to res- It's already resourcing me. It'll resource us. I think I'm going to make my my staff team go through it at the church. I I like it that much. So I just want to recommend it. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Matt, you have a wonderful family. Uh, your mom and dad are legends in my eyes already. And I've only stayed with them a couple of times. (laughs) Tell them, tell them I said, hello, tell the family Uh hello for us. And, uh, Hope to see you at some point. We used to see each other much more. I have to come. I come to Boston every year. I'll, I'll be up there again. I'll do my uh, speak at Brown University, hang out with the wrestling team, eat some clam chowder in the airport, hopefully not get coronavirus in Boston Airport like my wife thinks I did this year. Uh, whatever that bug was, I'm glad it's gone. Uh, and uh, Stay safe gather when you can i guess you'll never meet up there right boston shut down for how long
2: no they got new guidelines that we're going to work through with the church this week and see what the best course is forward so crazy crazy season but we're good
0: amen keep walking that seven mile road where jesus tells us the scriptures are about him opens our eyes opens the eyes of the blind that many might taste and see that the lord is good thank you for joining us matt jesse always a pleasure the gospel underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes. We are hardcore five-star acceptors. We will come and find you if you give us four. Send your comments, feedback, and or questions you might want us to take up on the underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue wickedly taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Thank you, guys. Good to see you today. Peace. Peace.